0: On the pilot tv podcast this week we're investigating a particularly nasty kidnapping with a disheveled matthew reese in hbo's perry mason catching up with Issa ray as she organizes a block party in season four of insecure and we catch alan bennett monologuing in a special lockdown return of talking heads plus we jump on a video call with game of thrones star natalie dormer to talk about her new role as an immortal demon in the upcoming penny dreadful city of angels I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that is officially not talking to America anymore after Netflix US dropped all eight episodes of the new season of Marcella last week, while we have to wait until the autumn to see it on ITV. Bastards. Joining me in my righteous fury this week are my two co-hosts. First up is someone who has made it his purpose to shape the course of modern television. When he stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator, he set out on a journey to steer televised entertainment onto a better path, to inhabit the lives of characters across the eras and put right what once went wrong. Oh, Boyd. Good morning, James.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to digest what you were talking about, yeah. And I don't think I have. It was
0: all to set up the Oh, Boyd uh, okay. gag
2: wow wow which i totally missed, wow.
1: missed. Yeah. jesus christ okay sorry okay well that was a complete
0: yeah. failure fine and joining us as ever is pilot tv's very own evil leaper traversing history in an attempt to replace all television with a mixture of demented reality shows working class dramas and reruns of law and order svu it's terry white
2: Hi, James. hello
0: terry hi all right people favorite episodes of quantum leap go
2: Uh, The one where he goes back in time um, to try and save his sister from marrying her violent boyfriend.
0: Ooh, hang on. Which one? I don't remember that one. His sister. What? Sam's actual sister or someone's sister? Sam's sister. Because I remember the one where he goes back to try and stop Al's ex wife from remarrying while he's a POW.
2: Yeah, but not that one. No, it's his actual sister. And he goes back to when she's in high school and she meets. This boy and he seems charming and lovely, Mm. but he's displaying violent tendency and he turns out to be a psychopath and he tries to stop her, make her realise that she's worth more.
0: It went into some dark territory in a few of these. There's a particularly nasty rape episode, I recall, of Quantum League. There were two (laughs) episodes. There was the rape one and there was another one, which they didn't air in the regular time slot when they were doing reruns on Sky One and they moved it later. And I remember thinking, oh, this is, you know, what's up with this one? And it was that one. I can't remember what the other one was. Um, What else was good? You know, the one where he, like the leap home, where he leaps back into his own childhood. That's really good. And then isn't the second part of that, the one where he is his brother. And that's one where he could have saved Al from being captured by the Vietnamese. And he he doesn't because that's not what he's there for. Mm. Yeah,
1: doesn't he leap into
0: a monkey as well? Yes, that's yes. in, oh God, was it? The wrong stuff. Bobo the Chimp. Bobo, Bobo the, the Chimp. Bobo the Chimp. <laughs> Fucking yes, hell. That's that was, genius. That was a whole new world for me. Yeah. yeah. When, what's that one? You know the one where he uh, jumps into a patient in an asylum and they're giving him ECT and he yeah. starts channeling all the different people he's leapt into over the previous episodes? That's a particularly cool one. Do you remember the Stephen King one, the horror where he meets the devil? Yes. yes. That's really good as yeah, well. Yeah, that's really good, yeah. Uh, where yeah. Al, is, Al is Satan. That was unexpected. And I love the Evil Leaper stuff. That's They're a bit hammy, but there's just something quite cool, because for me, obviously, that's arc-based. Like There's a whole series of stuff with Evil Leaper. Yeah, I love Quantum Leap. It's so good. Why has that not been rebooted? Someone should reboot oh, Quantum Leap. What a
2: terrible idea. That's a terrible, terrible, <laughs> no. terrible, yeah. terrible idea. Yeah.
0: So, you're saying if we were to do that, you would go back in time to put right yeah. what I put wrong. Also, you'd and- hate
2: it. You would hate it. Yeah, you would right, sit I here would. and slug it off and say, why did anyone need to remake this?
0: Yeah, that's exactly, 100% yeah. true. That is 100% true. All right, fine. Let's not reboot Quantum Leap. Uh, In fact, fact, Quantum Leap talk aside, we have missed a very important piece of information today. I was going to say, what are you playing at? Get to the point. And it is not just that Terry is literally drinking mimosas while doing this (laughs) podcast. So I can only imagine the fucking nightmare this is going to be by the time (laughs) we get to reviews. But today, as we record, today, Friday, the 19th of June, is Terry White's birthday. Happy birthday, Terry.
2: Thank you. 41. Wow. 41. Nothing.
0: Absolutely nothing. That's nothing. Unfortunately, social distancing does mean that computer exchange is closed, so I haven't been able to get <laughs> yeah. back second-hand DVDs for you not what. to watch. I was say
2: that I could then put under uh, yeah. my desk and never uh, watch.
0: Yeah. So what what have you got planned? What are you going to do for your birthday?
2: Uh, I've got to write a right a thing for Empire. Living <laughs> um, the dream. Yeah. And uh, do some edits on some other features I've been writing. And then I'm going to go and sit in the park and wow. uh, drink. Drink. Drink l- mimosas. Very much like. By the way, Jews can we I start call calling
1: them what they are? Bucks Fizz. It's not mimosas, it's Bucks Fizz.
2: <laughs> why, did, why were they called mimosas?
1: It's an American thing. That's the oh, American oh, juice. You, yeah, you're in America too, long I didn't you know had no, that. There's a lot was of the same mimosa thing. based brunches up yeah, there.
2: Yeah, I did, yeah. So
0: it's yeah. just orange juice and cheap Prosecco.
1: And cheap
2: Prosecco. Wow. Yeah, look at this. This this bottle's like a DuMonti bottle. Look at that.
1: <laughs> oh, I love though that. Yeah, that's a great <laughs>
0: bottle, yeah.
2: I have a very Essex Prosecco. No offence to the people. <laughs> I can't help noting that, that not bottle
0: fence. is also almost empty, which, again, has me slightly worried. <laughs>
2: well, I live in a house of three people. One of them's a baby. I didn't give any to the baby. <laughs> Probably but... <laughs> doesn't drink a lot of Prosecco. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So imagine, Terry, for, for just a moment, imagine that for some reason you are forced to stay inside, you can't go out. You know, just see if you can wrap your head mm. around that. What is your perfectly curated birthday telly evening?
2: Oh, God, mm. Christ. Probably Charmed, into mm. Buffy, into SVU.
0: God, that's yeah. an emotional roller coaster, yeah. isn't it? I know. Bloody hell. Yeah. I don't think I could sit through that.
2: I mean, strong women.
0: Nothing Northern and working class. Nothing, you know, Shane Meadowsy.
2: No, no, no. It's my birthday. Come on. You
0: know, I Hang only- on, ha- this, this actually brings something to mind. So someone on Twitter uh, came to me this week and accused you, Terry White, of being a fraud. Go on. They specifically said to me that you, hailing from Chesterfield, are not even a proper Northerner, I've but a Midlander. i told you this so many
2: times. I've told you this so many times. I am from North East Derbyshire. <laughs> I am literally like six miles from the Yorkshire border, but I do not come from Yorkshire. You decided that I was a dirty Northerner and have proceeded to like lambast me for it for five years. I have never once claimed to be a Northerner.
0: <laughs> they also pointed out that your accent sounds suspicious. Un Chesterfield that it is somehow fraudulent so terry if that is indeed your real name <laughs> what is the the origin of your particular accent
2: all i will say is that when i go home <laughs> people take the piss out of me for no longer having an accent and this is this person claiming what are they claiming about my accent and who are they i don't
0: know they just said they just said the the neck of the woods that you're from obviously i am well out of my depth discussing yeah, this I'm, I'm enjoying this does not fit the accent that you have That's to which i'm a bit bollocks. like nah.
2: I, I literally that come is, from there, and this is how I how I speak. Yeah, that Therefore, is, that is a
0: brave
1: it's a brave person who challenges Terry on her yeah. accent. Whoever you
2: are, person on Twitter, come and talk to me, and let's have a chat about my fucking accent. <laughs>
1: Come and have a go if you think yeah, you're hard enough.
2: Literally, come on then. Yeah. Come on, tell yeah. me what's wrong with my accent. Also, are you from Chesterfield? Because if you are, I probably know you and we probably had a fight at some
0: point. So Almost certainly related. Um, I'm very glad that we have cleared up this controversy. Thank you, Terry. Uh, which, which segues us very neatly into what we've been watching this week. So, Terry from the Midlands, what have you been watching this week?
2: Um, I've been watching The Great British Sewing Bee. Oh,
0: of course you um,
2: So this is my new comfort watch, which I I was just like, you know, I'm in for bake off, I'm in for all of that. This sounds like nonsense because it's just people sewing. Um, and they're competing to be named Britain's best home sewer. Uh and it but it's amazing. It's got all of the charm of normal kind of bake-off and Britain's best home cook and all of those other things that I love and you hate. And it's <laughs> it's like People just sewing shit clothes and competing over it. It's so lovely and warm. Um, and I watched three episodes of that the other night in an attempt to, you know, stave off the impending doom of, of life.
0: <laughs> How did that go?
2: <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> kind of worked.
0: So, wow. Sewing. That's been your weekly watch. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Can you sew? What do you reckon? fair enough
2: the other thing and i'm sure boyd's with me on this is
0: a crocheting documentary (laughs) documentary
1: (laughs)
2: documentary the episodes of big brother that they've been re-airing on channel four classic classic episodes including who is she (laughs) good god is she where (laughs) did you find her um This is the
0: naked jacuzzi thing, isn't
2: it? No, no, no. That's a different person. No, it's
0: different. Okay, it's just your your impressions. There's a certain amount of overlap. (laughs) It's sometimes hard to tell. Naked
2: jacuzzi. No, (laughs) naked jacuzzi is very different to. Is she?
0: Yes, I can't imagine how I got confused between those two.
3: <laughs>
2: but um, they actually, the one that surprised me was the Nasty Nick episode from season one, mm. which, you know, yeah. you've got to remember, they went into the house. They had no idea what the show was. Didn't know if it was anybody was actually going to watch it. It became a massive hit, but nobody probably really expected it to be so. And Boyd, you're probably better, um, in a better position to talk about that, working on Heat at the time. But mm. when he got booted out of the house for cheating, was weirdly like emotional, and I don't remember feeling like that when I watched it the first time. Um, so that really surprised me. But they they are brilliant, and you forget what a cultural phenomenon it was—the mm. whole country tuning in on a Friday night, um, every single week. So I've been greatly enjoying those, and I'm sure you have, Boyd.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. That that last oh, thing was so interesting. Yeah, because um. Because the because the great thing about this whole project that Ethos doing is they're showing the entire episode. Yeah, not I think edited highlights. Yeah, not edited. So and obviously, I, no one's seen. I haven't seen these episodes since they went out. Um, and the nasty Knit one, you just remember the whole story. But yeah, you see the it's 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 someone being caught out, isn't it, and humiliated yeah. live on television over a trivial bullshit basically and that's why I think it becomes so emotional because he's just taking part in a game and he's, he's doing something he's, he's just effectively just cheating in a minor way in the game of Big Brother but it was so unusual and shocking to see someone publicly humiliated mm-hmm. effectively um and exposed to being a cheat there and then that it was really emotional so, starts I mean you say up. cheat I remember yeah. there
0: was a whole thing wasn't he was playing people off against each yeah. other and kind of lying to yeah. how is that cheating it's not really because a you game is it
1: you weren't supposed to talk about nominations you were just but the, the 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 most important rule throughout Big Brother is you don't talk about nominations and he was passing notes, notes. yeah it was, and of, it was the writing
2: it was the writing of he notes was, you're yeah. not supposed to write Question, notes.
0: what's a nomination
2: oh christ to evict
1: your oh, fellow right. housemate. Oh,
2: did, what so the people in the house
0: get to vote are <laughs> we, yeah. we
2: explaining <laughs> the concept of big brother to change in brilliant. the year 2000 i, I thought people yeah.
0: called up a premium rate line to vote to evict
2: <laughs> oh my god no
1: so the the nomin the the members of the house nominated um people to evict and then the public vote i from those, see from the i see and he yeah. was He's trying to fix
0: the vote yeah inside the house yeah yeah, okay. basically. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: And it was all, he was just breaking the rules. Yeah. And it was, and it was, spe- he was being two faced because he was trying to play off, um, you know, housemates against each other. It was, it was an extraordinary um plot that he hatched <laughs> but in the in the scheme of things you know who gives a shit but yeah it, it, it was inc- and then now of course you know craig who exposed him and him are friends and so so i think they've all got over the the uh the initial incident but my favorite one to talk i mean you're absolutely right i've been watching them religiously and celebrity big brother Four. Oh, this line oh. james right even you must appreciate listen to this lineup right okay Dennis Rodman, you know who he is, yeah? Yes. Legendary basketball player, went out with Madonna. Horrendous. Friend of Kim Jong un. Yeah, horrendous creep. George Galloway, crazed politician.
2: I am the Jody cat.
1: Marsh, yeah, legendary, you know, uh, model.
2: Michael <laughs> Barrymore, legendary. Well, nobly
1: stepped around that butthole, boy. Yeah. Well done. Well, by the way, I've interviewed a few times. Yeah. Um, Michael Barrymore him. Pete <coughs> Burns from Dead or Alive. Remember him, James? No. no. I don't okay. know what Dead or Alive is. Preston from The Ordinary Boys, who was actually quite a kind of well-regarded pop star at the time. Rula Lenska from Rock Follies, legend. And others. I've and, heard of almost none of those people. Okay, well... It was an extraordinary gathering. It was an extraordinary lineup, And um, to see, like, they're showing two episodes. They showed one episode last week, and I think on Sunday they're showing the famous episode where George Galloway purrs like a cat <laughs> with Willa So get just- ready for that which is probably the greatest single episode of
0: all time. Are you watching these as kind of like a fascinating tour in th- into the, like, the anthropological sort of history of society, like the evolution of culture? Or is this just, whoa <laughs> hey, I love Big Brother, and this is good bits? Both. Yeah. Both. Right. It is okay. genuinely fascinating
1: to watch. I mean, it's interesting to watch any, any show from a long time, you know, 10, 15 years ago, because time, have, times have changed. Yeah. And there are atti- the attitudes expressed, by the way, are often shockingly um, outdated. Dennis Rodman, I refer, mm. refer to particularly. Um, it's just seeing and just seeing the whole episode play out that that you know was a huge part of well my life back then professionally. Yeah, it, it's incredible and, and it's just brilliant TV. The celebrity, but those episodes are, are fantastic television. Yeah, it's at the time everyone was being very snobbish about it. You know, there was a big. It was kind of people define themselves, and I think some people still do, James, whether they <laughs> like <laughs> reality TV or not, and whether they consider it to be beneath them. <laughs> <laughs> and in that snobbish way, but for the rest of us, you embrace it as being often the most extraordinary television you can get because it is real people doing real things yeah, so it's been it's been incredible well, it's fascinating that. when
2: you know we I remember when they first announced it, and there were all all these journalists and writers saying, "Why would the british public?" sit and watch people just living in a house together there's no Uh kind of benefit to it whatsoever and i don't Uh think anybody really imagined just what a huge hit it would be can you imagine being in that first season going in just like a normal person and coming out to this this kind of country that had really been changed over the course of a summer by this kind of mad tv show and they were all instant celebrities
0: i mean where is craig and nick now
2: Well, Craig invested his money wisely. I've been reading there's been lots of builder, um, wasn't he? Was he builder? There's been lots of Where Are They Now features that I've been obsessed with. So he has his own company and I think he like builds sets and stuff like that. Like he's he's made quite a lot of money out of it, but he gave his famously gave his prize money. For um, was it his friend or his sister? I can't remember. Boyd. his friend who yeah, was ill problem. to yeah, have kind it. of yeah. an operation. Yeah. Um, that's what he spent his prize winnings on. And I don't know where Nasty Nick is now. Nasty Nick, no, I, I can't believe I'm calling him Nasty he... Nick. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where Nasty Nick is
1: now. Yeah, well, I was going to say people like Ricky Gervais like used Big Brother was central to his like creation of you know faux documentaries and and and, and you know he actually took a task from Big Brother where they where the famous people had to order themselves in order of fame and he used that in extras and um still I think to this day pretty much up until what, Big Brother went really off the end when it ended up on channel 5 and yeah. became a bit of a laughing stock he you know he's been a staunch viewer and follower so bit you know it is an incredible thing to watch human behavior it's, it's, uh, it, you know without wanting to sound too poncy about it <laughs> it is brilliant tv um and the other thing i should mention is the Politician, because we haven't been able to properly review it, because and it, it dropped on Friday today as we're recording, and I have seen the whole thing, and it is absolutely a shambles. Oh, no. It's
2: a, <laughs> really? It's, I didn't yeah. think that sentence was going to end like no, that. No, I didn't think that's where it was <laughs> going I mean,
1: either. Yeah, I quite like Series 1, but um, this is the show, the Ryan Murphy-created co-created, produced show, um, starring Ben Platt as Peyton Hobart. He's So the whole idea of it is that he's, he starts off as get, running for student president in high school. and Obviously, he's like in his 30s. He doesn't, he doesn't know anything like a student. None of them do. And then each season, I think the whole concept is each season takes him closer and closer to becoming president, which is what he's dreamed of doing since he came out of the womb. And so it's supposed to be like a kind of satire on politics. It's supposed to be quite funny and incisive. I think it's just become it, it, first of all the character I, I know you hated it didn 't you, um James I wasn't oh, a fan, yeah, well, his character is intensely unlikable, which often for me isn 't a problem, but in this it's it 's becoming more of a problem because it doesn 't make sense that all these people he 's got this team of devotees who work for him, and it 's like why are they so devoted to him because he 's so horrible to them and to everyone i mean you've you 've seen America right yeah i know, but <laughs> I know it just but it just doesn't it, it just doesn 't work and um in this series, it's all about him taking on a New York senator who's in a thruple, and the show, and you know, she's she's seeing two men at the same time, relationship, and that's kind of interesting. But then it becomes like taken in, the, the kind of jokey way they deal with that becomes really facile and obvious, and everyone ends up in bed with everyone else in a kind of in a kind of incredibly predictable way. So every single time a new character is introduced, you know that they're going to end up having sex with another character. It's painfully obvious, and the whole and it's for a show about politics. It's incredibly unincisive about politics. It feels like it's taking place in a bubble rather than reflecting in any way about the terrible state of politics in the world at the moment. So the only, the best thing about it is Gwyneth Paltrow, I have to say. She's fantastic as his mum. Mm. And Bette Midler's in it, being incredibly over the top as Bette Midler. And it's very camp and over the top, but it just doesn't, it's so unbelievable. It's so, it's so um, contrived. It just doesn't work. There we go. That's my, that's my feeling about it. Well, I am not sorry we missed that. <laughs> Yeah. But that's why they've embargoed it. Clearly, they know, like to the day. You know, no one could review it until it came out on Friday, and it's like they know it's not. It's not. It's not working. And it's
0: that's. I think is really interesting that they, yeah they won't let anyone review it at all now. Wow, well, uh, I've watched nothing new this week. Instead, I embarked on a rewatch of Luther. It's hard to say why. I don't know why. I just I was struck by the urge to go back and watch Luther again from the beginning, uh, and it is. Well, it's brilliant. We know it's brilliant because we've all seen it. It's fantastic. But just seeing those, that first episode where he meets, uh, Ruth Wilson's Alice for the first time and the little cat and mouse game they play and the relationship they have in that, which is so peculiar and unusual right from the get-go, right from the off. Like it's really strange that relate and the way that episode ends. Like it's, it's, it's at once weirdly adversarial, but there's kind of more to it. It's very layered, uh, and I think the way that develops in the way her role develops during that first season is incredible as well. I Also, I'd forgotten all the Indira Varma stuff in it, which is great too, and Paul McGann. So yes, really, really enjoying Luther. But yes, I haven't had, uh, I haven't had an awful lot of time to watch new stuff, because for reasons really best known to someone i don't know who i went out and bought a guitar this week because i'm absolutely serious i'm having i'm having a mid-lockdown crisis so i went out and i bought myself a guitar to which and i can't remember his name but someone on twitter brilliantly said does this mean you will be exclusively playing songs by bellend sebastian
2: So, oh, that's oh good. My God, well done, James. Well done, you, sir. This yeah, it, it just good. makes me think of that episode of The Office. where <laughs> we yeah. get your face? Free, lo- free Love Freeway. Free, yeah. free love on the free love <laughs> highway. <laughs> like, oh, my God. You <laughs> massive twat. Why did you have your yeah. guitar? <laughs> yeah,
0: I believe there's an appropriate line about this in one of the In Between Us movies as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. there's a whole
1: thing, isn't there, about the yeah. guitar playing scene.
0: Yeah. In In Between Us, the first movie,
1: oh. yeah. You're too yeah,
2: old. Stop it.
1: <laughs> you know what you should do. You should now begin every episode of this podcast with you, yes. your
0: performance of a famous theme tune. From now on, yeah, yeah. But this week, Hell Street Blues. <laughs> oh, God, I do. I shall be busting out songs as the show goes That's on. That's excruciating.
2: Right. <laughs> oh God, That's so oh, good.
0: You can call me the Axe Man <laughs> from now on. Is this the first time you've had a guitar?
2: Um,
0: not exactly. Uh, I got an electric guitar when I was, I think, 17, maybe. Uh, and I, I plugged in the amp in my garage at home and because I didn't immediately sound like Jimi Hendrix. I don't think I ever picked it up again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're I'm teaching out. yourself to play? I am, yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am attempting using... Uh, there's a uh, website called Justin Guitar, where a guitar teacher uh, called Justin is teaching me how to play guitar.
1: No. very good. Nice. No. You, know, you,
3: know,
0: <laughs> of, you know, of course, that I do play
1: bass guitar.
2: Do, I do? you? I do yeah.
1: that. I was in a band at university called Porter Ray at the University of Sussex with uh, Doug Cheeseman and um, uh, Richard Scar. And Martin Hardick was our manager, and we played like three gigs, I think. And I didn't know how to. Play. And, and Doug, we needed a bass player, so Doug taught me how to play bass. And we played three gigs. Yeah, I think. And it was a disaster, and I was so. I couldn't keep time. I was shit.
0: Ah, see, boy, we should jam. Yeah, yeah, let's jam. <laughs> a pod band, a pod band. You on bass, <laughs> me on the other guitar thing, and Terry, you can sing in your non-Northern Midlands tones. Yeah. This would be brilliant.
2: Boyd is, <laughs> doing Boyd an impression is, of yeah. what's Face from Big Brother. Boyd is classic um bass player yeah. you are classic yeah. bass player yeah
1: and i yeah. i think i'm a Big tambourine time.
2: player i want to be like bears just coming <laughs> oh, in oh yeah like, you could be a Bears, yeah.
0: definitely yeah
2: having a little dance shaky mama oh, yeah
0: this is the way forward see the pilot tv theme tune is actually played of course and composed by billy lund from the subways but yes. clearly i will surpass his greatness very very quickly and will compose my own masterpiece oh as- god <laughs> you to
1: yeah. put
2: this on your tinder profile is that what this is all about?
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Axe Guitar legend. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: You you are definitely going to do a new theme tune. It'll be like the episode of Frasier where he gets the orchestra to create a theme <laughs> tune for his show.
0: I mean, uh, I'm not saying I went into the music shop and showed a guy a gif of the Doof Warrior from uh, Mad Max Fury Road and said, make me this. But that's more or less what happened. Oh, my God. Wow. This is, this, anyway.
2: This is astonishing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, incredible. Anyway, uh, anyway, enough of Belen Sebastian. Let's uh, let's amazing. move on. Let's move on now to a listener question. But uh, this this week's listener question comes with a preface, which is a second listener question, which we're not going to answer, but I wish to read out, which is something that got me thinking. So. Michael at ScrumpyJack100 said, Why in TV shows and films, when they inevitably own ridiculously massive houses, do they not have a spare room? Those in the bad books always end up on the couch, which is a very legitimate point. Like everyone ends up sleeping on the couch when they clearly have other bedrooms. What's happening? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I thought it was interesting. Let's move on to the main question, which comes from John Salmon at salmon, 88 who asks, what is the saddest character death? Now, this is quite a, a pertinent one because someone from Us Weekly, uh, Emily Longaretta, who writes for, for Us Weekly, tweeted out this exact same question and had a variety of kind of, uh, of replies from famouses and whatnot. So we, we can fall back on that. But let's start with ours. Like, what is the saddest character death? Now, I will say this is a question which obviously elicits the potential for massive spoilers. So I would say maybe we should name the <laughs> show before <laughs> the death. So if people are like, mm. in the process of watching said show, they can immediately skip yeah. forward. Okay, so who wants to go first? Naming the show before the spoiler.
2: Okay, I'll go first. Um, yep. ER... Two deaths. This that, that, Naming the show doesn't help because basically everybody <laughs> dies. But That's true. ER, two deaths. First one, a most potent one. I was just talking to Jack Thorne on Twitter about this. The writer is Lucy Knight, who was oh, obviously fuck, yeah. the intern who was stabbed by a mentally ill patient along with uh, Carter. Yeah. He survived. She didn't. And what made it so devastating for me was... There was a moment they thought she was going to be okay and she was conscious and there's a moment when she's talking to Elizabeth about having surgery and she starts to feel unwell and she mouths PE at Elizabeth and it turns out she knows she's having a pulmonary embolism and that's what eventually kills her and she knows in that moment she's probably going to die. And it's just devastating. And Carter's reaction is, you know, oh. and obviously he then spiraled into a painkiller addiction. That the, the consequences of her death were felt for a long time. And I don't know if, you, if you remember Romano's reaction, and obviously he was notoriously cold-hearted and cruel and awful, and he was devastated that he couldn't save her. Um, and
0: got killed by a helicopter for his troubles. And got struggle.
2: killed by a helicopter after having one of his arms chopped <laughs> yeah. off. By a helicopter.
0: <laughs> by a, helicopter. A,
2: helicopter. I mean, a different that, helicopter. That was one of the most hmm. ridiculous deaths I have to say. <laughs> who gets their arm chopped off by a helicopter and then like coincidentally gets killed by one as well. Um, I
0: mean people who work in a building with a helipad well, on I the roof presumably. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: and then the second one is Greg Pratt. So Greg Pratt. Oh I didn't see this coming. Oh. Um, Oh, so he, um, there was an explosion. He was out with the ambulance crew and basically he suffered an an internal injury. And again, it was the same thing where he knew he was going to die. And there was this Mm -hmm. shot where there was a single tear running down his face. And he knew what was going to happen to him. And then after he died, he they donated his body um, and his organs to help other people. And there's this, um, a shot where he's wheeled through the ER department as his colleagues watch him Ugh. being taken up to theatre again so that Elizabeth um, – uh, was it Elizabeth or was it Benson? I can't remember, but basically they were going to kind of open him up and take out his organs. And-
0: That's Mackay Pfeiffer, isn't it?
2: Yes. And it was yeah. just
0: <laughs> – you're right again. Like Gallant dies in Iraq, as yep. I recall. I'm surprised. You, I thought you were going to say Mark Green because this is the one that actually John suggested. Mark Green because he dies of uh, brain cancer, brain, doesn't he? Yeah, brain tumor, uh,
2: and he dies. Kind of, you know, but I don't know because I.
0: It's off screen, it's isn't off it? Screen. He dies off screen, and mm.
2: also it's kind of he'd left the hospital. He was by the beach. He was with his family. It was very mm. on ER almost that death. It's quite it's a letter. they read
0: out a letter from Elizabeth? Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I think the, t- the point when he actually dies is he's in bed and the shot is kind of of the beach and the city where you mm. don't actually see the moment, where you know he's died in that moment. Um, and then, yeah, the flashbacks go back to kind of his final days with Elizabeth and with their, um, mm. ch- with their daughter and his daughter from previous marriage. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, there's something about the kind of brutality of Lucy's death and of Greg Pratt's death.
0: That, the Lucy thing was one of the most shocking things I've seen. That said, it didn't shock me as much as when Mark Green gets jumped in the toilets. I watched like, that again the other week. So horrible.
2: Yeah. So violent. Like, so violent. And the
0: worst way is when you think it's over, he comes back and continues to beat him up. I it's know. so, yeah, That's that's horrific. I was slightly traumatized yeah. by that when I first saw it. Uh, yes, that's good. Lots, lots of lots of good. Can we say good? Yeah. Lots of lots of appropriate examples in the ER, <laughs> I think. But if we're saying like deaths, like hospital deaths, I would say that I think uh, George O'Malley's death in Grey's Anatomy is actually pretty brutal because he comes in and he's been—I can't remember—he's been hit by a car or a train or something like. But he's so disfigured that he's. Oh colleagues and they don't realize it's him yeah and then he traces 007 which was his nickname on one of their hands and they realize and like that's that realization that it's him and like the trauma that they all go through trying to save him and ultimately failing to that's pretty horrific
2: yeah that's grim.
1: um well if you're talking medical um procedurals um house house is the show i don 't think many people will i mean hopefully lots of people will be re rewatching House on a constant basis, but Cartner, who was played by Cal Penn and was um, one of um, house's gang his diagnostic team in in uh, uh, and was a really likable funny character um he took his own life um very suddenly in that show and it was so um, it was so Moving and emotional and devastating. And it was partly they're exploring, you know, when people take their own life, there isn't a simple explanation for it. There isn't one, often one simple reason, and people, or, you know, everyone else all his friends and family and everyone is trying to work out why why he did this and it's just and you'll never know and it's kinda of explores that whole idea and it's incredibly painful and moving. And of course the whole thing the only reason they they did that storyline of Cutner dying was because Calpen, the actor, left the show to work in the White House. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He he left to join the White to work in the White House for President Obama. Um and that's why he left House. Uh so that's pretty incredible. I also wanted to mention um Nana in The Royal Family. Oh in the Queen of Sheba episode. So they created a whole special episode uh, revolving around her dying, and that was just spectacularly moving um, in every way and funny and brilliant. And everything that's great about the royal family was in that episode. Um, Years and years, uh, most recent one for me. Yeah. Uh, Spoiler (laughs) if you haven't seen it. Um, But Daniel played by, of course, Russell Tovey. I was absolutely – and I kind of had an inkling it was going to happen. I didn't.
2: So shocking.
1: So shocking. Um and brilliantly, 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 just brilliantly performed. Just the the timing, the editing, mm. everything about that was just unbelievable. And genius
0: that it wasn't originally going to be him that died yeah. either. Like I love that. Yeah, that they you know changed. Was it? Yeah, like, it was, was it his or was it Rus- was a Russell T Davis idea? It was going to be his. His. He's going to be his boyfriend.
1: I think it was Russell T Davis's idea. It was going to be up, his. Yeah. His. Um. His yeah. His boyfriend who died, which would have been the the obvious thing to do. Yeah. Because yeah. his boyfriend, you know, was the migrant, if you like. Um. You know, was kind of having. Great trouble dealing with all that, but he thought it would suddenly be much more powerful and shocking. And he's right, it was more powerful and shocking. um And then Will Gardner in um, The Good Wife. Yes,
0: that's a very good shout.
1: I mean, I reminded myself because I haven't watched it since it went out. And this is, you know, a, it, this was a series five, season five of The Good Wife, I think. um And he was a character who, you know, he'd. He'd had a relationship with Alicia, and he was again incredibly likable, and he was seemingly. But his role was becoming more and more important and interesting, and um, he was shot in the courthouse. Um, and and I remember thinking at the time it was so brilliantly filmed and directed mm-hmm. and acted. It was so they basically they kept kind of um, they just show you glimpses of what happened piled up on each other, like incredible editing. Um, so you kind of not, weren't sure, and everyone kind of slowly begins to realise what's happened, and you'd see the image of his shoe um, kind of on its own and all that. It was just so beautifully done. Um, and was unbel- and for some reason like, I must have known I was thinking about it because I, I, you know everyone kind of knew it what, what was going to happen but for some reason it was still incredibly surprising mm. and shocking so I can't remember the extent to which I did know it was going to happen
0: but that was an incredibly powerful moment yeah. that was a good one Terry I'm very surprised that Buffy's mum hasn't made it onto your uh, your thing because that's
2: I mean that that's- episode I, you see I don't think that's really about her death so much as it is about the the kind of precision and i mean that that episode is spectacular what is it called is it the, the body, the body? Mm. it's just a remarkable piece of television like an expertly crafted piece of television and sarah michelle geller in that episode is remarkable but bizarrely it's almost not about her death do you know what i mean it's about
0: but the- it's how uneventful her death it's like yes. a brain aneurysm isn't yes. it she just, she just dies just on dies. the sofa and it's just oh, it's horrible yeah absolutely horrible Um, I also get get sad like uh, Anya's death in in Buffy made me sad just because there's that shot of her body as they're leaving at the end where she's just almost like forgotten and it's just there's something just deeply tragic about that.
2: Well, also Buffy's death, right, when she actually does die and there's that shot where Willow and that crossover moment in Angel where um he goes back to the office and and willow's waiting for him and she's turned up in person to tell him that mm. that bush is dead and you don't see the moment she tells him but you obviously know what's going to happen and when she you know they resurrect her essentially and there's a whole that whole speech she gives to spike where she says this is in the musical
0: episode yeah this is it. yeah
2: this is this is hell <laughs> this is hell this is like being resurrected and being alive again yeah. It's hell. That fucked me up.
0: Yeah, it's it's nasty. Um, loads of Game of Thrones deaths. Loads of Game of Thrones. If you haven't seen Game mm. of Thrones, skip this bit. But uh, it's <laughs> hard, it's pick a Stark. I would say for this one, <laughs> Any Stark, uh, Ned yeah. Stark in season one, the red wedding scene, like Rob and Catelyn stop. That's fucking brutal. That is. I would say the death of uh, of Rob's wife is is. One of the most unpleasant ones, uh, but Hodor is a really tragic one as well. Again, this means nothing to you, Terry, but the hold the door episode where Hodor dies—that that that really stays mm-hmm. with you. Uh, mine, my main one, I think uh, you'll be in no way surprised to hear, is possibly Mrs. Landingham from season two of The West Wing, uh, which is an incredible one, in the episode eighteenth and Potomac, uh, where she dies in a car accident, uh, and it's just delivered like uh, like Charlie comes in and he delivers the news in this incredibly flat like dead voice like he's almost like he's with no emotion at all like he almost can't register it uh and they the whole episode there's been this sort of c plot about she's going to get a new car they've been mansplaining to her, do you need the tow package have you got this and she's like oh my god have you negotiated the sticker price did you buy and she's like oh my god leave me alone i'm just buying a car and it's just it just bubbles away in the background and then at the end of the episode she's been driving her new car back and a drunk driver hits her at an intersection and she's dead and um The secret, uh, the story, the story behind that was that Catherine Houston had been having a cigarette break with Aaron Sorkin and they were chatting away and she'd mentioned that she was trying out for a pilot because she wasn't uh, a regular cast member. She was a recurring character, but she wasn't on contract. She wasn't a regular. And Sorkin suddenly thought, ah, okay, maybe I'm going to lose her. And then he thought, oh my God, what would it do to President Bartlett if mrs landingham died and that's where it all started spinning so smoking kills is the moral of this particular story <laughs> don't go for a cigarette break with aaron sorkin or he will kill you um but yeah that's that's incredible and it leads into two cathedrals which is often held to be the best episode of the west wing while we're on the subject of the west wing i can't not mention the death of leo mcgarry in season seven uh this of course came about when john spencer himself had a heart attack and died while making the final season and they incorporated that into the storyline it's, it's really really Beautifully done in the obviously by necessity it can't happen on screen, but so where Annabeth walks in and you just she finds him in the bathroom and she sort of cries out, Leo! Uh and then the episode ends. But there's a there's a wonderful funeral scene for that which is which is incredibly moving because you've got all of the characters there you've got lots of former characters no longer on the show who come in and they all turn up for leo's funeral and it kind of feels part leo's funeral and part John Spencer's funeral, and you can really see the emotion on the actors' faces is a hundred percent real in this. And Martin Sheen actually did a, a to a camera piece before one of the episodes, just after he died, you know, explaining that they they'd lost him, um, and that's one of the main reasons that the show kind of never really continued after that. Uh, there's actually a plaque to John Spencer on the West Wing stage on the Warner Brothers lot. There's a plaque in memory of John Spencer. You can still uh, that's still there on the soundstage. Other ones, I would say, one for spoiler for Sons of Anarchy coming up, uh, where Opie which is Jax's best friend, he's killed in prison. There's a, some... I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it, but some corrupt guards make them fight in like an arena in the basement of the prison. <laughs> okay, it sounds stupid, <laughs> but, but it's really brutally done where they put Opie in a room with these like several guys and one of them just gets a lead pipe and beats his brains out with it. And Opie's like been Jax's rock is the guy almost like his conscience, like his anchor to his humanity. So the loss of Opie is a really is a really big deal. Two more, Terry. I'm sure that I'm... so again so again. surprise you didn't mention someone online had said the 10th doctor now i understand the doctor doesn't die but apparently there is a kind of quote-unquote death in his regeneration is that true
2: yeah basically i mean he oh god so he gets he there's a moment when he's running towards Rose. they're basically reunited after years of longing and wanting mainly on my part um (laughs) and uh he gets um electrocuted essentially would you call it electrocuted boy but the yeah, dialect, yeah. Um, yeah so fair yeah, enough, yeah, but he and he, there's a there's this, an amazing speech David Tennant makes where he says, "I don't want to go, I don't want to go." Essentially, I don't want to die. Um, it's really devastating. And actually, Rosa's death, which isn't an actual death, but she's, hmm. you know, that that episode begins with, "This is the day I died," and that's because. <laughs> she got taken to the parallel universe and in the actual universe she was dead. (laughs) Now, now that sounds ridiculous all of a sudden. (laughs) But it was still devastating because they were separated. But we've talked about this at great length before.
0: As, Terry, as a Downton convert, which I believe happened after your birthday last year when I got you the box set, surely Cousin Matthew warrants mention.
2: (laughs) I mean, does it?
0: No, you don't care. No.
2: When posh people die, I'm not really that, you know. Just-
0: <laughs> I love the way in between talking this, like just watching you consistently sip this Buck's Fizz out of what looks like a margarita glass while recording this podcast is hilarious. So if this...
1: I think, I think to be fair, it's a posh champagne glass. Is it? It is
2: a posh. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Oh, see, clearly Bought I don't for know by these me, my boy's things. brother. Yeah.
0: Oh, really? God, go. this
1: yeah. is so yeah. incestuous.
2: Yeah. As
0: this podcast goes off the rails later on, this will be the reason why. Yeah. I
1: think uh, a villain death... That really um, hit me hard was when Moriarty dies in Sherlock mm. when he when he kills himself in the famous rooftop scene Did you in, the, in the best episode. Huh? Did you miss him in the Reichenbach? Oh right com- yes, <laughs> <laughs> Reichenbach right fall. Um, because oh. like you hadn't really seen it. people forget, but Andrew Scott's Moriarty appeared in the last scene of, ep- of season one. Then he then he didn't appear again really until the third episode of se- series two, and then he, he kills himself. In the end of the episode. So, really, you get like an episode and a bit of this incredible performance, this unbelievable powerhouse charismatic performance and this incredible character and that's it and then he and obviously the, the figure of Moriarty then hovered over the rest of the show anyway mm. and he made and they managed and he and he, he, they incorporated him kind of but he had he, spoiler alert he did actually die but this was, he does actually die this
0: was the thing that didn't land for me at all because I didn't believe for one second he was dead except he oh, was yeah. <laughs> and he just I just I refused to believe it all the way through I was assuming right. he was alive and yet wasn't oh um, no I was never
1: said because I was thinking yeah I mean I, I the, the way they did it I thought made it pretty clear that he, he was actually dead, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I was I was in some denial true. about that. Uh the only other ones I would maybe mention is Charlie Dominic Monaghan in Lost, not Penny's Boat oh that's quite a death Uh, and glenn's death at the hands of negan's baseball bat in the walking dead which is yeah which is upsetting and horrific and just horrible because they've they've done a red herring like they've just killed abraham to make you think that he's going to die instead and then they kill glenn as well and it is so much more horrible than you think it's going to be even if you read the comics uh so that's pretty brutal
1: they done a red herring, you just said. I like <laughs> they that. They've done a red
0: herring. <laughs> They've done, they done, done, done a red herring. <laughs> I like going to be cockney there? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, done a, it's like a reverse herring. A uh, reverse, reverse yeah. herring? A reverse herring. <laughs> They've done a red herring. They've done a red herring. They've done a red herring. Also,
2: one last one. Uh, Prue in Charmed. So, um, Shannon Doherty and Alicia Milano... Famously, did not get on, and the story goes that they mm. went to Aaron Spelling and said, "You need to like choose which one of us stays." <laughs> Shannon Doherty ended up leaving, and she it, like died quite horrifically. Um, but it it led to a um, Rose McGowan becoming the new third sister, which was great, and also like an entire season of sadness and grief which I'm all which you for. Loved. Which I loved. What, what happens yeah.
0: in that when they want to kill off a character who doesn't want to leave? Is it a bit like Dr. Drake Ramore in The Lift Shaft? It's like,
2: oh, oh, <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Right, uh, John Salmon, I hope that has answered your question. If you wish to hurl a question at us, feel free to do so either at Pilot TV Mag on Twitter via DM or to me at James C. Dyer on Twitter or Instagram. Time now for this week's guest, Natalie Dormer jumped on a video call with us earlier this week when she took a break from the lockdown monotony to chat about her upcoming Penny Dreadful spin-off, City of Angels, where she plays an immortal demon, because of course she does. Natalie had a good old chat with Boyd about her rather unique character in this show, reminiscing about her time on Game of Thrones and sharing what she's been watching during lockdown. Here it is.
1: Hi, uh, Natalie Dormer, welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. How are you doing?
3: I'm very well, how are you?
1: I'm good, I'm good. Um, now, it's traditional when you're interviewing the star of a big new show or film, whatever they're, they're, they're promoting, to get them to explain the premise, I guess, of the thing. But it strikes me, this show, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, is so extraordinarily complex and multi-layered and has so many different ideas and themes, and you play four different characters, effectively, um, within the show. It feels harsh for you, to get you to, to explain the whole thing. But we can say it's set in 1938 in L.A., and there's a murder mystery, there's racial conflict, there's your character, a goddess demon trying to bring down mankind. Is that is that a fair summary? And how was it pitched <laughs> to you by John Logan, the writer?
3: Uh John Logan pitched it exactly as you said. He said it's set in nineteen thirty eight, but it's about today. He said it's about demonization of other, uh the dangers of demagoguery. Um and it's um, a descendant, a spiritual descendant, he calls it, of the original Penny Dreadful series. So for, I know like that show had a massive fan base, and I completely understand why. It was a great show, an incredible ensemble cast. And so the continuing factor is the supernatural element, which John basically uses um, that the genre as um, a catalyst, really, as a way of... as you say, illustrating these many themes that he wants to handle and heightening it. And he offered me basically to play the antagonist. Um, So Magda is this antagonist, um, uh, supernatural uh, demon um, who shows herself to be um, the sister of Santa Muerte. And, Her argument at the opening of episode one is all mankind needs to be the monster he truly is is to be told he can. So it's best not to think of her as the devil or Lucifer or you know evil incarnate. Basically, she's angry (laughs) or or very sad. Some some beef's gone down between her and her sister, but it's she has this very negative, cynical view view of mankind, and she basically says, "Look, I'm going to prove it to you." So John's argument is this exploration of you know good people do bad things and why do they do that and I think that's you know unfortunately very apt for um, current affairs today.
1: And did and presumably he explained from the start that your character effectively has these three apart from the Magda the the, the version of Magda where she's resplendent in this black outfit and she's causing causing major commotion and, and, uh, and uh, uh, carnage. She also has these three kind of human, I guess, um, uh, versions of herself. And was that the, the, the idea from the start that you would have these three different different persona to play?
3: Yes. Um, you know, you've basically nailed the two reasons I said yes to the job because I was <laughs> em- empathetic to the theme that he, the themes he wanted to explore. Um, you know, for my own catharsis as a human being and an actor in our terrifying modern world, I was like, if that means I have to play your antagonist, I'll play it because I'm interested in what you're trying to say. And then the other reason was, well, when else are you going to be offered a job where you get to play four roles for the price of one? <laughs> wow. And um, yeah, I mean, there is this, as you say, this almost film noir cop who done whodunit um, uh, element to the show that is based around and the unlikely couple... Ship of the partnership of the police of um, Nathan Lane and um, of, of Daniel Zavato, but it's um, Magda is really, I suppose, the way to think of her is she's a metaphor, she's a catalyst of tying all these. Uh, this wonderful, this is the through line that people of Penny Dreadful, the first show, will also know of the of this interweaving. Um, ensemble cast that is tends to be is in long form TV is John's sort of calling card you're going to have all these different characters and you're not going to know how they're going to interweave and meet and intermingle but they are and then I have I mean I got the golden ticket because I'm the one that gets to play you know with Michael Gladys over here and then Rory Kinnear over here and Nathan Lane over here and Lorenzo Iso and Adriana Barrasar so I'm I was running around a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I bet. yeah. There's so but much. Yes, um, she's, uh, she's, used
3: yeah. meta- she's used as the she's uses the metaphor really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's so was watching watching it. Um, I, I kept thinking, right? I've got to have um Wikipedia to hand because there's so many things. There's like, for example, I didn't know really about the Mexican American culture, the Pachuco culture. This mm-hmm. these kind of extraordinary jazz outfits they wear and the dancing. And you, you're, one of your versions of one of your characters gets involved in that. There's the whole storyline about the first freeway being built and destroying Mexican American community. Communities,
3: there's the whole, yeah, yeah. That's social whole. Yeah, basically <laughs> yeah. used as social. Social engineering, the motorways used as concrete walls to plow through unwanted communities—be they Hispanic, Black, you know, and various other communities, Jewish, you know, so on and so forth—and and um, and yeah, and. And then, as you say, an infiltration of um of the Nazis in Los Angeles, which is not made up. It's right. it, it's ter- and I didn't know about terrifying. that. I, it's I, yeah, terrifying. me um, people yeah. should Google Murphy's Ranch and all sorts. Right. It's, um, it, so I, you know, this is. I think this is the strength. One of the strengths of the show is, yes, you've seen L.A. Confidential and you've seen Chinatown. So there is an element that you're going to click into and feel like you know. The genre there, and there's also we are used to seeing sort of Hollywood, uh Tinseltown in that era. But you do get these insights to these communities and these fraternities and these groups that maybe we haven't, you know, we haven't seen um in such detail before on screen. And I mean, John calls it his love letter to L.A. He's a Los Angelino, and he calls it his love letter to his cosmopolitan city. So. Um, i mean i 'm like you i didn't know anything i i i 'm as ashamed to say i didn't know anything about the pachucos uh, mm. and or the Zoot Suit riots and i mean it's just it's it, which is absurd when i 've been going to l a for fifteen years so i really enjoyed um you know reconcile um, you know yeah. remedying that
1: Yeah. It it reminded me, I don't know if you watched the Watchmen series on HBO. um, I did. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it reminded me of that in the way it's taking these historical, big historical moments and and mostly to do with racism and bigotry in America and kind of using a fantasy and horror storyline in this case to explore those things. Mm. It really reminded me of that, that you use genre to look at. And it feels incredibly timely, doesn't it? As that show did, that race in America, I mean, right now could not be more... The, the bigger topic. I mean, obviously, that's accidental to some extent with the release now of the show. Sure. But does but that make so you well, think in, about in it?
3: In early 2019, we were building up to it. You know, it's like right. when I took the job, we were in the middle of Brexit and, and, you know, and, and the Trump administration was in full swing already. You know, it's, it's sort of, uh, we've just gained a pace, I suppose. It's, um, and it, you know, it really does make you, it really does make you think. Those, these parallels, these echoes, uh, this of tribalism and pointing the finger at others um, that you know is so defined those interwar years, and now we are you know smelling dangerously like right now. Um, So
1: yeah. For sure, yeah. You talked. I mean, there are echoes, aren't there? Definitely of Chinatown. I mean, the bodies where the the dead bodies are found is a location which is very important in Chinatown, isn't it? Under the the um under the kind of uh, road where there's the water basin, I think it's called. Yeah, um, and, and, the, and, I think, and the visually, you know, we have- there's, yeah.
3: Visually, yeah, I was going yeah. to, that's exactly what I was about to say. You know, right. we had two incredible, um, de- we had two incredible DPs on this job. Um, you know, uh, John and, um, Pedro, where people can look up on IMDb or whatever. And, you know, these men are to- at the top of their game and they just, the, the, what they created, what they shot, you know, they know their, their cinematic references. They know, they know to aim for something cinematic for the small screen. This is the beauty of prestige budget tv now that you can create something and we had an incredible production designer incredible costume designer um the the man hours and the thought and the skill in all departments that went into this show i mean i really do think you could, it's textured i think you can really see mm. it on screen
1: absolutely and it starts off with this incredible kind of prologue this this huge big conflagration um and, and fire and a, a massive kind of special effects sequence. was that always there in the script that that was going to be the opening of this thing yeah
3: Yeah, there's a highly, the highly emotive origins of, um, Daniel's character's story, um, as when he was a child of Tiago. Yes, that was already, that was always the, the big opener. Yes.
1: It kind of starts and ends, is it, with a big, that ends with, uh, with the first episode. So I won't, I won't spoil it, but there's a big, um, shall we say, uh, there's a conflict. And I thought it was very interesting. Your character, uh, Magda goes around whispering into characters' ears, um, her, whatever. Uh, did you, what, did you actually, was there actually lines of dialogue that you had to whisper or were you improvising <laughs> the, that whispering? <laughs>
3: no, I, it's, it's, you know, this, 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 uh, concept that um i'm just going to make sure my email is turned off so you're not hearing that um <laughs> thanks it's this um y- you know the this argument that john has that um is trying to explore that you know good people do bad things it just depends on circumstance um you know because that the, the, this 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 premise that we could all have a weak spot whether it was our family or, um, you know, a deep hidden um, pain or, or secret or that there is, there is something that could trigger all of us. And, you know, it's more interesting if Magda's power is limited and that the, the, she can't make men or women do bad things, but she can try and tap into a pain or an anger that um, ignites it and um sort of this is the this is the pull and the push of 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 humanity and that was the fun i had in creating elsa and rio and alex as her three human iterations it's trying to make them as three-dimensional as possible that they have strengths and weaknesses that they have light and dark and what does it take to make a person behave like this and then you see these wonderful performances by people like Michael Gladys and Rory Rory Kinnear and Jonathan Nieves who are you know subject to that whispering and you know, they're good ma- like all three of them fundamentally, you know, they're, they're not like sort of like psychopathic, completely corrupt human beings. It's, some, it's about that manipula- manipulation of, mm. of self. But I mean, obviously, John is using Magda but as a metaphor, but in real life, it's basically circumstance. So I mean, right. look, it makes it sound like it's like will be exhausting to watch. <laughs> Just no, like, no, yeah, right. On an on an entertainment, no, it is- yeah, it's there's a whodunit done <laughs> yes. it in there. There's a great sort of cop who done oh, totally. it, and, and glorious yeah. for the eyes. But if you really want to start thinking about um, the philosophical, theological questions, it, then they're there for you to explore too, if you want.
1: Yeah, no, it's great fun. I'm talking of which, I was going to ask you what, of of the four different characters, what's the most fun to play? What was the What was the one that you really enjoyed?
3: I mean, I, it, you, I think you know the answer <laughs> to that. Do you know the answer? You're going to say it? you can't
1: what? separate them? Yeah, yeah.
3: No, oh, I no. wasn't actually. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to okay. give you that
3: actual answer. No, in that uh, case,
1: Rio. I- it's got to be Rio.
3: Oh, do you know what? You know, you, 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 you win half the point because of the dancing okay. and the zoot suit, But, yeah. um, it's, yeah. it was actually Alex that I felt the most freedom uh, with, uh, because okay. she's sort of so far removed from anything I've ever played before. And I could right. really, um, you know that she's just so she's just so removed from anything that people might perceive that i would play and so that was just extremely liberating in creating the voice the physicality and um and michael gladys makes me corpse he makes me laugh something rotten so um um not that i have favorites ladies and gentlemen yeah
1: she's then, the but character the, where yeah
3: she's you know she was probably the most liberating to play yeah and then yeah i mean rio is just a joy for obvious rio is just a joy for obvious reasons um yeah the the, you know Um,
1: the bravado absolutely yeah um i have to ask you about um another huge big um fantasy tv series uh you're involved with the fades um
3: (laughs) very good i saw what you did see
1: what i've done there yeah uh which no genuinely we talked about it recently on our podcast as, as a show one of the shows that one of the best shows that not many people might necessarily have seen it was jack thorne there are only six episodes on bbc3 but it was mm-hmm. brilliant it was you ian de joe dempsey tom ellis daniel kaluuya incredible cast jonathan and ha- are, yeah, were harris. you disappointed?
3: incredible yeah. cast yeah not
1: johnny harris but it only lasted one series six episodes was that at the time was that were you were you annoyed <laughs> infuriated that it only lasted one series and what was your memory of that show
3: I had so much fun on that show. I, I, again, uh, like Penny Dreadful, it was an example of you know um, what when genre when genre really kicks in and lifts a piece uh, because it you know bit bang gets you there where you need to be in the story and in the themes. Um, and I we were all very surprised. I mean, my understanding is that there was some politics within the bbc and there was some killing of other people's babies when there was a, a power handover which is why the right. show got killed i don't know that was a rumor i heard but it is actually quite surprising when you look back that we were because i mean we also won i think it was also the bafta uh, audience yes. award it won as Absolutely, well yeah. and i mean yeah. jack's writing i mean and that was jack before he was really fully jack as well sure. um yeah and um it, it just had so much potential that show and it was, it, um, yeah, fantastic themes, yeah. fantastic writing, fantastic cast. I, uh, I do think about it. You're, you're quite right. Yeah.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. And my one um, game of Thrones question is what was your favorite scene to film out of your, in your whole time there? Um, I mean, you had some brilliant people to bounce off, didn't you? Um, the high sparrow, um, Joffrey, Cersei, these, some of the greatest characters in the show. Do you have a favorite moment that you got to do?
3: I don't know that I have um, a favourite moment. I mean, I had a favourite week of shooting, which was okay. the, the Purple Wedding because we were all together. And, right. you know, that never really happens. That never really happened with GOT. I mean, it, maybe it did for the rest of the cast in the years that I left when they were busy in big ensemble doing the finale stuff. But um, my five-year tenure there, it was more likely that you would be as you say, in a one-to-one or in, in a smaller scene. So to do a big sequence like that over the course of a week, I think we were like a week and a half in Dubrovnik, which is obviously an incredible place. And to have sort of everyone in one place um, and have that real family feel was um, something that I will always remember very, very fondly.
1: I bet, yeah. And is there any news on you, the Vivian Lee project that you were you were – that was announced where you were going to play her. I think you were producing as well. Is that still happening? Is that, what's the state of that? Yeah,
3: it's in in development, Boyd. It's in development. It's a a, a crazy time right now. Yes, Um, yes. It is a crazy time. But yes, um, Dog Rose, um, my production company that I'm working under Fremantle um, with, my slate has got a number of projects that are at this, you know, embryo stage of getting ready to go out, To shop out, and obviously, um, I was very busy with PD for eight months in Los Angeles, and now I'm back. And coronavirus happened, and who knows if the rules would have changed, will have changed in commissioning. But no, um, there's a number of things on my slate that my heart is very much invested in, and um, it's helping me. You know, it helps me as an actor to understand about the mechanics from a producing side. I've been on a very steep, steep learning curve for the last 18 months and I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it.
1: Oh interesting. And finally, um in, in the period of, of lockdown, et cetera, have you been watching a lot of shows yourself? Have you is there any new stuff you've watched that you've enjoyed, even old stuff that you've enjoyed?
3: I've been going back exactly as you say. Oh, okay. Um, right. I've been going back to um I've I'm I'm on my third series of Sharp.
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant. Sean Bean. <laughs> and,
3: uh, yeah, I'm Sean Bean. I mean, I go back to my old faithfuls. I, you know, especially when in a time of crisis, I think there's a reassurance that comes from watching, you know, that Black Adder episode just one more time and so on and so forth. It's, uh, but I'll take any recommendations if you have them always.
1: Um, well, there's um, I made a story. Have you heard about that at the moment on, on which is actually on good old fashioned BBC One? Um, Michaela Cole's show. Um,
3: okay. Yeah, which, no, I, heard, yeah, I haven't watched. Yeah. I will put that down on the list. Yeah. But,
1: that's that's brilliant yeah absolutely that's fantastic um uh i always forget what's happening what's on at the moment but yeah that's 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 the, i think is that's just such a good show that it's kind of dominating a lot of people's thoughts um at the moment yeah for sure that she wrote stars in everything um it's pretty incredible yeah and uh, is there anything you and do you get to, to when you do this stuff like do you get to do you get sent early copies of shows like you know coming up do you get sent or or you know do you have to discover them for yourself
3: Uh, I mean, I'm a BAFTA member and I'm a SAG member and, you know, so I'm, I'm a number of, I'm a number of, um, you know, guilds members. So yeah, I do some, sometimes I get privy to stuff, but, um, I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible time. It's, it, it it is the era of content and, um, it's going to be fascinating, um, it is going to be fascinating what happens in the upcoming months, um, and and how we are affected by this pandemic, how how we how we shoot and what we shoot. Um, it truly is an interesting time in uh, on the big and small screen. So yeah,
1: yeah, completely yeah. And part of that is indeed Penny dreadful, city of angels. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Nice link, nice link. Thank you.
0: <laughs> that was that was quite out of partridge, <laughs> wasn't it? In a way,
3: was
1: like, <laughs> 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 Thanks uh, so
0: much. That was brilliant. Thank you. That was Natalie Dormer, and you can hear more about Penny Dreadful City of Angels when we review it on next week's show. Time now, though, for news. Boyd, Terry, what has been happening in the world of TV this week?
2: Nothing, well, really. Well,
1: I-, I missed, <laughs> I I, look, I was very excited about, I somehow missed this, the whole announcement of this show, right? There's a show called The Comey Roll coming up. Um, uh, I think it's on Showtime in the autumn. And this is a mini series, a drama miniseries about James Comey, Mm. the former FBI director. And it stars um, Jeff Daniels as James Comey, Brendan Gleeson of Paddington 2 in Bruce (laughs) fame as Donald Trump. What? As actual... Yes! And so they put out a shot of Brendan Gleeson as Donald Trump, but only only really in profile. And you couldn't really see it. But fucking hell, how exciting is this? And... Yes! And... Kingsley Benadir, the OA's detective in season two, as President Obama. (laughs) It's the greatest thing ever. But it's the greatest thing ever. And I completely, this whole announcement passed me by of this show. And I'm incredibly excited about it. I love the
0: fact that Brendan Gleeson in profile is at once instantly recognisable as Trump and as himself. Like, it's it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm I'm
2: just Googling this right now because I can't get over this.
0: (laughs) It's so exciting.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's incredible. If if I I appreciate that when you're listening to this podcast, you can't see what I'm seeing, um, but please get d- d- get on your laptops while you listen to this and just check it out if you haven't. That is astonishing.
1: Yeah, it's Showtime. showtime. so it'll, it'll be on Sky Atlantic for sure because all Showtime stuffs on Sky Atlantic. Yeah. So, um in in the in
0: the autumn, get ready for it. Fucking exciting, I tell you.
2: Oh my gosh, that picture's amazing,
0: <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's very very good. Uh, What else has been out there this week? Alex Ryder, I think he's been picked up for a second season, or at least they're preparing to do that, which is exciting. Two trailers... Dropped this week, uh, which interested me, N- both Netflix shows. So Cursed got its first uh, trailer, certainly the first one I've seen, uh, with Catherine Langford in this, which up until now I kind of dismissed a little bit as kind of a YA Arthurian thing. But suddenly, watching the trailer, I'm now interested in this. So it's got a black Arthur in it, and she's essentially the Lady of the Lake who ends up with Excalibur instead of Arthur. So it's a really interesting, to my mind, I mean, it's very me, isn't it? It's a really interesting spin on that particular legend. So actually, I'm quite, I'm quite down for this. Yeah, I can't believe how dismissive you are. It's so you. Yeah, show. it is. It's very me. But as is it, it, could it be more me than the other Netflix show I saw a trailer for, the brilliantly titled Warrior Nun, which is you'll be surprised to hear about a warrior nun. <laughs> who kicks the shit out of people and this looks amazing so it's like a it's like a again sort of similar demographic thing of a sort of a uh a young girl who's uh inherits some mystical mantle I'll tell you like this guy touch a buffy about mm. it and she becomes the chosen one this warrior nun and i think she's an atheist as well so it's a nice interesting spin on that the church aren't happy about it and she has to take on orders of you know demons amazing but, yes she alone can stand against the forces of darkness terry yes. she alone is the chosen one
2: yes
0: <laughs> so what yes. a weight warrior of responsibility
2: <laughs> for a young woman <laughs> exactly
0: exactly <laughs> warrior Nun on netflix both of these i think land in july so i'm very very excited about these i demand that we review warrior Nun. it might be next week actually it might actually be next week we'll have to find out what channel is it on it's netflix warrior none oh, on ne- netflix
1: Probably, yeah. I love <laughs> week. It's got to happen.
0: Well, it says it says it's uh, available on second of July in the US. So I'm assuming it's day and date here, so yeah, well, maybe okay. it will be next week. So let's demand Blimey. access to Warrior Nun for next week. Did you guys see the Sinner has been renewed for a fourth season? That's not mm. a huge shock, no. uh, but very mm. very very welcome to see as well. They're planning to delve further into the psyche of Detective Ambrose uh, for season four. Uh, some some people on Twitter suddenly were reacting to our review last week, saying that it is by by leagues the worst of the three seasons. Mm. I don't think we ever denied yeah. that. Did we? I think it's definitely no. The, but it's not the it's the least strong. Like it's still good. It's just not yeah. as good. So there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: Although I think the news that 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 news that they're de- delving deeper into his psyche, I'm not sure that's the way to go. No, no, are Because right, sure, I, I think actually say. that might
0: be slightly what derailed season three. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, it is. Yeah. But we'll see. We
1: will see. What they did with his his sexuality in season two was it? I think they exp- I thought that was mm. much more interesting and effective than what they did with season three. With him,
0: yeah, by the way. His scenes with Carrie Coon in season two were fantastic. Yeah,
1: fantastic. She's
0: brilliant and everything. Um, okay. Anything else? Oh, Michael Keaton's doing a a limited series on Hulu. Dope Sick, which is about the opioid epidemic Mm. in America.
1: 30 Rock Revival. 30 Rock. (laughs) Oh, hello. back for a one off. Is that like a, like a, a lockdown virtual? Lockdown special.
0: Yeah. That's exciting. Um,
1: yeah, Thursday, sixteenth of July. Um, it's partly as part of NBC's upfront presentation, mm. so they're kind of um, going to show it to journalists there, where they where they announce all the big new shows. But they're also going to. It's also going to be on NBC on that day, and every, everyone's coming back. Tina Fey, Alec Baldwin, Tracy Morgan, etc. I fucking hope Sky shows it because they still haven't shown the Parks and Rec special. Um, because uh, Sky Comedy shows old Parks and Rec episodes and they show all 30 episodes, yeah. so they need to sort out their, their deal where they show the new one-off episodes as well.
0: Oh, you, I mean, you can see it on YouTube, but it's geo-blocked, I believe. So yeah. it's tricky yeah. for people. Anything else or is that news? It's not been a lot of news this week, really, has there, no. TV-wise? No. Okay.
1: There's one more oh, thing. Oh, one more thing. HBO is doing also doing a lockdown special. Do you see this? called um, Coastal Elites, it's called. And the cast is pretty amazing. It's, gonna, it's all going to be filmed in lockdown style. Um, Bette Midler, Sarah Paulson, Caitlin Dever from Unbelievable, Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek. Um, and it's directed by that guy, Jay Roach, mm. who did um, the thing about the Fox News, the film about Fox News, which I can't remember the name uh, of. Bombshell. Thank you. <laughs> bombshell. Yeah. So that's quite, you know, it's a one-off kind of thing about how political elitists um, have been affected by the pandemic
0: interesting what's the best mm. like there have been a few of these haven't of these lockdown specials these socially distant special episodes I mean, i haven't seen all of them and I'm, I'm you know i'm not a parks and rec stand so i guess i'm disqualified from commenting but i did think the mythic quest one was genius like i haven't watched all the mythic quest i watched the first one but i did watch the lockdown special of mythic quest and it is so fucking funny <laughs>
1: yeah it's staged if you watched any of stage it with michael sheen and david Tennant. i haven't no it's very it's, very, it's really un-
0: entertaining you should watch it yeah okay it's good. Lockdown fun. Right. Speaking of lockdown fun, let's move on to this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have the return of 1950s television icon, Perry Mason, the legal eagle played by Raymond Burr, uh, based on the character by Earl Stanley Gardner, who used to pull off the neat trick of solving crimes while defending the wrongly accused. Uh, Mason returns this week on HBO in a very different form, with Matthew Reese playing Perry in a prequel series set before his more successful <laughs> courtroom days so this is when he's working as a down and out PA as a down and out PA now that would be a show that I'd like to see <laughs> <laughs> that is the show they missed Brilliant. a trick they missed a trick that's what I'm saying not a PA not a PA <laughs> but a down and out PI in 1930s LA and he ends up on a kidnapping case now this is a serialized single case rather than a procedural sorry Terry this is not CSI oh no. 1930s but uh does Mason crack the case Boyd
1: well, for me, this is a bit like you know um, taking the 1960s Batman with Adam <laughs> West and uh, turning into Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. You know, taking a kind of pop culture, fun, frolicking thing yeah. and making really intense, um, slightly self-consciously intense, one might say, uh, drama t- in this case, television out of it, long-form TV in these in these eight episodes. Um, now to start with, now interestingly, this was supposed to be Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to, this was a vehicle for him mm. originally. And he couldn't do it because um, of his filming schedule. He couldn't do it because of his filming commitments. So, uh, Matthew Reese, and I love Matthew Reese. So Matthew Reese said it. Now, I cannot imagine, I'm fascinated because Matthew Reese, I would say, underplays this character almost to a fault. Like, he's very internalized. Mm. I mean, he has moments of anger and he drinks too much and he, he has. He's, he shouts at his wife on the phone you know about their their child and stuff but a lot of the time he's being very he's, he I feel he's being un, underplaying this role of this um detective private detective who's eventually going to become the lawyer um which I think was a fine, a fine But I couldn't imagine Robert Downey Jr doing it in that it way It would have been like so Robert different Downey, wouldn't it It would have been so different yeah so that that's fascinating for a start um I think it's Beautifully, meticulously filmed, like the recreation of Depression era Los Angeles. And funny enough, um, in the Penny Dreadful show that we'll be reviewing next week, um, very similar um, setting and very similar, slight, slightly similar ideas, crossover ideas. I thought the way, the way it's filmed, the kind of noir quality to it, the lighting, the sets, the costumes, the direction, it's the f- cinematography. its fu- it, I, mean, I know every TV show, most of the TV shows in this era are very, very well produced, but this is beautiful. I think episode one, now thank God I watched two episodes because for me episode one was very slow. Isn't it? <laughs> it starts off kind of with a big event and it's funny that, where kind of he's involved in this catching out this, um, this uh, big guy who's having illicit sex and that's a kind of, Big show off opening. Then it settles down when the case of this horribly mutilated uh, child baby is found, and that's the central mystery. Why this this baby that was kidnapped, and then this is the premise. Sorry, it's not it's not a spoiler. Um, and then you know, are the parents connected? And um, Perry Mason and his kind of and a group of investigators, the lawyer um, and the group of investigators, John paid by John Lithgow. Explore this case. And it's really slow. It really slows down to to an almost, I felt like, ridiculous extent where <laughs> scenes went on a long time a long far longer than they needed to um, there was a right, there was a sex scene in it that I felt didn't need to be in there I thought a was quite
0: the, vigorous sex montage vigorous, isn't it? Yeah. vigorous sex <laughs> montage it's fine but it was like <laughs> yeah.
2: it was like <laughs> the sex montage <laughs> a
1: sex, no one needs the sex montage <laughs> but that, I felt it was like all trying to be and the reason I mentioned the Christopher and Example, it was like it was so self consciously heavy and serious and full of sex, violence, and swearing, as an HBO show has to. I feel it was all a bit much and um, very little humor like almost no humor at all, no levity of any kind. I know sometimes a mood is. You have to you have to kind of create a serious move. But there was an interesting interview with Michaela Cole I read recently where she she was asked, Re, you know, um, I may destroy you, our current brilliant series. She was someone said to her, How do you inject comedy and humour into such a serious and she said, I don't ever inject I, it's just natural for me for that to be a part of what I do, and it's just naturally always there. And I felt with this, it's like they've almost like removed any idea of comedy or humour. And remember, the, the Perry Mason show, I mean, they repeated it a lot when I was growing up. It was a very light, fun, pr- pr- procedural show. And they've turned it into this super heavy mm. thing. Having said that, episode two is so much better than episode one. It's suddenly, I felt like major characters only arrive in episode two. Tatiana Maslany's character, who is this preacher- this Christian evangelical preacher only arrives in episode two. There's a black detective character who's very who's key, and that's exploring the whole racism of the LAPD. He only arrives in episode two. I would beseech everyone to watch two episodes. Don't judge it on the first, which is slow and a bit dull and disappointing.
0: It's the, the thing about this show is it, I I got it, and I think, as you say, it looked absolutely beautiful, like the attention to detail, the soundtrack, it gives an incredible sense of time and place, you know, everything from mafioso, like studio bosses, brutal cops, like taking illicit snaps of people, all of that kind of hard boiled gumshoe noir stuff that that 's really nice about that, but i don 't understand why this has the perry Mason i p attached to it. It makes mm. no sense to me because Perry mm-hmm. Mason was a guy who used to smugly trip people up under oath in a courtroom, like yes, he was investigative, but this is more of a Sam Spade type character, and it just feels like yep. to tell this story i don 't understand why. They needed it to be Perry Mason. This could have been something new. It could have been something different. It could have been a Sam Spade reboot. Like, yeah, you know, I don't understand it. I mean, it's possible that this sets up the more traditional Perry Mason character once the season is over. Because obviously, there's a lot of character growth goes on in this. Um, but as you say, the first episode of this is painfully slow like the cold open that sets up the case certainly if people are expecting this to be a case of the week type thing like between the cold open that sets up the case and that case actually becoming part of the plot about half an hour goes by like it's incredibly mm. painfully drawn out um you know obviously very much enjoyed the shagging montage but um you know <laughs> yeah I, I i like this but I, I don't know why it is if that makes sense now if you were you a perry mason fan
2: um, yeah, you do I love mean, your procedurals. I so. do like my procedurals. And you're right in that it, it shares pretty much no DNA with Perry Mason whatsoever. <laughs> and it is weird that they just didn't do a different thing or, or not call it Perry Mason. Mm. But I probably was slightly warmer on it than you two. I just thought it was so beautifully done. Like, remark, like actually one of the most beautiful pieces of mm. television Ever. it's so meticulous, like Boyd says. Absolutely stunning. The score is remarkable. The use of light, there was one shot that I was just like absolutely staggered by. But if you come to it looking for that kind of, you know, slightly funny, slightly stuffy procedural of old, you won't get that, and you'll probably be disappointed. Um mm. but I and I think Matthew Reese is just extraordinary. Like, as you say, he is very internal. But I really liked that he's so quiet and haunted, um, full of soul, full of pain, full of like I, you know, this tapped all of my kind of misery boxes, quite frankly. Um, (laughs) so, So I kind of could forgive this. And you're right about the pace. It's definitely slow. But I could kind of forgive it because I was so captivated by him and the sense that, mm. you know, there will be, as you say, more layers revealed as the series progresses. But where he begins as this kind of, you know, broken, haunted haunted man, I really bought that and I really bought him. I just think he's phenomenal. But, th- yeah, this is not, you know, a, a your quick fix hit of justice in an hour whatsoever.
0: No. No, indeed. It's a uh, it's a strange one. I'm I'm tempted to keep watching this just to see what it evolves into. Uh, and like I say, it's 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 really well it's really well made. It's got lots and lots of texture to it.
1: I do think the mystery is interesting enough to keep yeah. you going. Yeah.
0: I think you know, it's so perversely
1: horrible. Yeah. Um, isn't it the the um the the dead baby thing i mean that was there
2: are are a couple of there's a scene and i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about there's a scene which is particularly gruesome Mm, that actually you know i found really shocking really shocking but still really really beautifully done somehow
1: yeah and there's a and it it carries on like that there's episode two has a has a a moment that's unbelievable, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's like wow, they're really yeah. pushing it out, pushing it, pushing the bow out. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I, I definitely get to carry on watching it, I have to say. Yeah, well, Perry Mason begins on Sky Atlantic on Monday, June the 22nd at 9 pm. Next up this week, we have Insecure. This is the fourth season of Issa Rae's much-lauded comedy drama, originally based on her web series Awkward Black Girl. This show depicts the black female experience in L.A. from Rae's perspective, delving into her career, her love life, and her long-standing friendship with Molly, played by Yvonne Orgy. This season kicks off with the organisation of a block party event, revelations about who her ex is dating, and, yes... Another, even more vigorous, sex montage. <laughs> In this case, a hallucinatory sex montage. Now, I must confess, this is the first time I've watched Insecure. Terry, are you an insecure newbie, so to speak?
2: I, I am an insecure newbie. I absolutely fucking love this, and I am gutted that I haven't watched the previous three seasons, and I'm remedying that right now. Um, so I had a bit of catching up to do, but as you say, this is it's very much about... It's a raised character, her interior life, and, you know, her quite ordinary, in some respects, life in LA as a 30-something woman, about her dating, about her work. Um, The primary relationship, really, is this relationship with her best friend, um, as you say, Molly, played by Yvonne Orgy, and... From what I can tell, this season differs in that it kind of deals with the fracturing of that friendship. So she says at the top of the episode, I don't fuck with Molly anymore and that. And then there's a flash forward, flash backwards, flashback, flash forwards. (laughs) Boyd's favorite thing basically happens very Mm. quickly. Yeah, This to me feels radical, right? Because we are used to seeing... Comedy dramas about white women living their lives, having bad dates, having coming in and out of relationships, their friendships, their kind of anxieties, their struggles. That's very much the norm. And actually, what's radical about this is yes, it is about a black woman. And I read a really great review that said, It's not necessarily about her being black and it's not necessarily about her being a woman, but it benefits massively from both of those things being present in the storytelling in that it's just about the normality of her life. And I read a thing with um, one of the showrunners who said, we're just trying to convey that people of color are relatable. This is not a HUD story. This is about regular people living life. And that's actually what I think is properly fucking radical about it, is that it's it's about their normal life, about dating, about everything that we all experience kind of universally, but it's also very much about the black experience. I think it's shot beautifully, it's colorful, it's bright. Um, The direction is really sharp. The soundtrack, which is um, mainly hip hop, is absolutely brilliant. It's really innovative in places, these kind of, as you mentioned, the fantasy sequences Hmm. I love, which I understand from reading about it is kind of uh, uh, something they return to a lot in the series. That fantasy sequence is brilliant. It's funny. There's a sex scene in the first kind of quarter that had me – like absolutely rolling It's really really <laughs> funny it's funny it's sharp it's brilliant it's about you know somebody described it as it's about the joy of blackness and I think that's a really amazing way to describe it I loved this and I'm going to go back to the beginning and start it all again
0: and it's not what you might think because it's not a show that's about her relationships it's about her life life in all and its, its entirety yeah. and her career and every aspect of it so it's not too concerned with that particular aspect of her life it's sort of it's more of a holistic a holistic yes. look at things but if you presumably you've watched more than just this
1: yeah i love it yeah it's it, um i think it's one of the most undervalued shows of the of, of recent years because it's 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 fantastic yeah it's, and it's right from the start it, it was um i mean the way it deals with you're right. There's a revolutionary thing from from the start about the fact that it's depicting um, kind of middle class, you know, life in LA for these black women. And um, but the way it depicts sex and relationships is also absolutely incredibly revolutionary. The, the sex scene you referred to, <laughs> I think, in this first episode is is classic insecure, but it's I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. And and I, honestly. Like the opposite of, I, I felt the gratuitous sex montage in um, Perry Mason, is that the sex scenes in this show are so crucial to the tone yeah. of it, and they're so well observed, and they're so real, and yet funny, and oh, they would do all kinds of things. It's a, like girls, I think it's got that in common with girls because girls, I think you forget how revolutionary the sex scenes were in that show. This is different. It's got a different, definitely got a different tone to it. But it's equally brilliantly done, I think. And, um, that the friendship between her and Molly is, is the, is, has been the underpinning of the whole thing. So as you say, in this fourth season that begins with this, the moment where that they're, that they're now going to be, um, they get now, that friendship is going to be changed. It's a big, big moment in in the history of the show. And I thought I was, you know, that is like shocking and moving and interesting. It's just, it's just a brilliantly observed comedy fantastically performed, as you say, beautifully filmed. It's 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 a really, really brilliant show. Mm.
0: Yeah, It is. It's really, it's kind of funny and it's moving. There's a lot there's a lot going on. And I found suddenly the structure of this quite unpredictable. I had no real idea where this was going. The only thing I found with this is it felt a little bit like someone had dropped me in the deep end of a swimming pool. And I feel like with a show like this, so much of the drama hinges on a familiarity with the characters. The one I kind of appreciated, I didn't feel that emotional connection to it because I don't know who these people are. And I think this is the kind of thing where I certainly feel like to really enjoy the show, I'd need to go back and watch it from yeah. the beginning because you need to understand the shorthand. Like when there's all this stuff about her long-term ex, like that lacked emotional punch for me because I've no idea who he is. And I think if I... would been, sure. on, been on board with the show from the beginning like that would have been a massive thing uh, but yeah so she's really really fucking good and she's you know she, this is her whole creation isn't it it's uh, it's it's certainly one of these shows I know what, what's it's ratings like boy does it get very good ratings I know it's been critically acclaimed in the US
1: I think it does pretty well yeah I wouldn't say not not huge but I think it does pretty well for HBO I mean it's certainly you know the fact that it's, it's now in it's well, full season yeah, is, a very is good evidence point. of that how, yeah I think it does pretty well yeah um, she co-created interestingly with Larry Wilmore who people who watch The yeah. Daily Show We'll remember. He's a brilliant guy. I mean, he's 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 often in um he's often pops up as a kind of political observer on American chat shows and stuff. He's fantastic and they, they co-created it together. Mm.
2: But you know, think about think about how many how many shows can you name that are centered on black women and being a black mm. woman yeah. in LA or wherever yeah. at this point. It 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 just doesn't exist on television. And I think that's why to me it feels more radical than something like Girls, which which at the time felt extraordinary that you would got these lives of these young women living a very non-sex in the city life in New York being mm-hmm. depicted. But then you, I saw this and was like, it kind of shits all over it because this is, this is unlike anything else on television and these women do not have their stories told.
0: But it, it fulfills yeah, yeah, a similar yeah. function to girls in that regard, in that this this is a group that historically sort of narratives on television have skirted around because you know it's you know because TV is written by white men, so you don't tend to get these kind of perspectives properly represented. Yeah. certainly not authentically represented, which both this and girls I think did very very well.
1: There's also a really interesting class thing going on though in, in Insecure because it's rare also rare to see because LA is all about being rich hmm. and wealthy yeah. and glamorous and showbiz. it's tap, It taps into the the, the people who aren't that, that that rich and wealthy. They're doing fine, but they're constantly kind of having, you know, they're constantly or, or kind of on the edge of actually they need to, they need their yeah, jobs, exactly. you know, they need to earn more money. And that is really unusual to see, particularly
0: in that LA setting. And that's one of the great things about yeah. it. Great. Well, Insecure, season four, drops on Sky Comedy and begins on Tuesday, June the 23rd at 9 p.m. Finally this week we have Alan Bennett's Talking Heads. For those of you whose memories go back far enough, this is a series that debuted back in 1988 and took the form of a series of dramatic monologues written by Bennett and covering such cheery subjects as death, illness, guilt and isolation. In short, the perfect companion to lockdown life. Uh past series of this have gathered numerous awards and even found their way interestingly enough onto the A level English Literature syllabus. But is this third series a pass or a fail?
1: Well, it's interesting because this was the they they really did the series purely because of the virus and lockdown. So um, you know the BBC was running out of new stuff to show, um, and um, the Piers Wenger, the head of um, drama at BBC, it was his idea to do it because he thought, well, you know, one way round filming difficulties in lockdown is to just do monologues mm. like talking heads which was, which is what they did so but what amazed me from the, the first thing I was going to say was I was expecting to be very aware of the fact that it was filmed in lockdown conditions but I didn't notice that at all once you get into it um, it's kind of very cleverly filmed even though they are still it, it still takes the pure idea of one sole character in each one telling their story to, mostly to camera you know they they wander around they do stuff they do the ironing they do the washing up but it still retains the purity of the original idea and i remember watching these you know in, in back in the day when they were first on and they were at, they were legendary moments of tv in their way as kind of historic and important as things like big brother we talk about probably from Alan <laughs> Bett's point of view more important than big Possibly. brother but um they were you know they were performed by likes of judy walters and maggie smith they were mostly women and they're still i think there's only two males in the 10 two men's stories in the 10 that they've done this time and there's two new ones so by the way so the the scheduling is quite confusing they start on tuesday with a double bill one of which is a brand new episode um an ordinary woman played by sarah lancashire and the other is a classic episode a lady of letters with imelda staunton and then it's on kind of then the rest of the Eight episodes are on quite frequently um, for the next two weeks on BBC One, but they're all available as a box set from the first day anyway. So you can pick or choose which ones you want to see. I've watched the Imelda Staunton one, the Sarah Lancashire one, which is one of the new ones, and Jodie Comer's one, Her Big Chance, which is three quarters of an hour long, by the way, um, and was originally performed by Judy Walters. And they are all in their way absolutely brilliant. For me, funnily enough, the new one because I had seen them before. So as soon as you start watching them, I was like remembering Jodie Comer and thinking how similar her performance was to Judy waters because i remember Judy waters doing this one so clearly it's about uh, an actress who's d- basically dealing with a me too stuff you know years and years before me too it was ever a thing um and she's brilliant but i did keep thinking of Judy waters emelda staunton's phenomenal in a lady of letters but the new sarah lancashire one is unbelievably great i think this is i thought and this is exploring um a mother's love for her son and i won't say any more than that but it's exploring uh, the taboo. Alan Bennett's always interested in taboo sexuality, taboo relationships, just taboo ideas. I mean, The History Boys is built on a big exploration of that. Um, one, one, I think, one of the greatest things he's ever done. And honestly, I thought Sarah Lancashire was unbelievable. I mean, obviously, she's brilliant in everything, but as a sustained half an hour of her. Just doing it in inc- all kinds of moods, like showing this woman's story, this woman's absolutely tragic, heartbreaking story. I thought it was one of the best things I've seen for a long time. So I'm, I'm loving the whole thing. I can't wait to see the rest of them. But that one in particular just bowled me over. I sorry. haven't
0: seen that one. I saw the Jodie Comer one, uh, Her Big Chance, which sucked me in immediately because it literally begins with her saying she once shot a guy in the back with a harpoon gun and then references Crossroads. So, you know, <laughs> that's off to a winner, yeah. really from the get go. So they're not, so that one was 45 minutes. So they are a varying length.
1: They vary. Most of them are around half an hour,
0: but that's the mm. longest
1: one I think. Yeah, that the They're one. split yeah.
0: into sort of several acts. This one was in about I think five or six different acts. Each one with a slightly different setup. First one shot through her bedroom window. There's another one in the dressing room. There's another one backstage on a soundstage.
1: <laughs> All filmed. By the way, on the East Enders set. Oh, were they? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think yeah. someone had mentioned that yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it was. It's it's beautifully done, and she she plays it extremely well. I've not seen the Julie Walters uh, iteration of that particular play uh, because that's what they are, aren't they? They're one man shows. They're plays. Yeah. They're One man plays. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, really, really good, really affecting. It, it did suck me in. I worried I would be bored. Frankly, by someone monologuing for 45 minutes. So, given that that's more or less what we all do on this podcast, you uh, are <laughs> slight hypocrisy well, there. You certainly do. Thank yeah. you, boy. Yeah. Thank you, boy. <laughs> I get the monologue for 45 minutes in a yeah. heartbeat. Um, but yeah, very good. Very interesting. Very different. I, this, was, this was a nice one, Terry. What did you think of it?
2: So, I watched the Sarah Lancashire and the Jodie Comer episodes. I think it's extraordinary and it's funny because I fucking hate this lockdown shit. Like, oh, let's make (laughs) some, I really hate it. I don't, I'm living in lockdown. I don't need to see other people living in lockdown. I need escapism. However, this is probably one of the things I've seen where it makes sense because they are monologues and there's this intimacy about just them and the camera and you that kind of, it's, it's, the isolation we're all dealing with, the kind of, you know, interior lives we're all kind of reckoning with, all of that is is kind of unearthed and on display here. And it makes it really weirdly powerful at a time like this, I have to say. Um, I thought the Jodie Comer one was brilliant, but as you say, the Sarah Lancashire one just completely bowled me over what a performance Mm. like i can't get over the shifts she goes through Mm. in that one episode even between lines just in the space of two or three seconds the way she shifts dramatically is extraordinary um i was slightly thrown by being on the eastenders lot because i watch it so i'm like Get out of like Peggy's room! <laughs> what are you doing? It was yeah. It, it yeah. slightly threw me. Um, yeah. But I think it's I think it's genius. I think choosing this mm. point to resurrect these monologues and throw in two new ones to kind of take in where we are now. Yes, yeah, so I think it's one of the few things I've seen that actually really makes sense of lockdown and is made better by the fact it was done in lockdown. We're watching it in lockdown. Um, just incredible. And I think to your point, James, like. These were originally made at a very different time and I think we have little patience for stuff like this these days. It's one person, it's one camera, it's, you know, very – you have to concentrate and you really have to invest in the dialogue and I think if if you're used to, like, lots of uh, lots of drama, lots of effects, lots of exciting things happening, that isn't what this is but it is worth your time – listening and watching and investing in this because the where you go over the course of one episode is just phenomenal.
0: Yes indeed. Well these drop as Boyd mentioned on BBC One on Tuesday to the first Tuesday and then in an irregular barrage of episodes (laughs) after that. Yes. Although they are also available on iPlayer. Uh so you can enjoy them there. Uh anything else? Also out, boys, do we have anything also out this week? What have we missed? There's a show on ITV called Roswell, New Mexico, which I'm assuming is not the uh, Katherine Heigl uh, starring alien Roswell show from the
1: Naughty. Yeah, no, it's a new thing. Yeah, it's a new American import. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know much more about it than that. APB, there's a thing called APB on Fox on from Wednesday, which is about... Um, it's a it's a police procedural, I think, all about using technology to fight crime in Chicago Christ. with Justin Kirk from Weeds, who was really good. Justin Kirk's really okay, good yeah, actor. He is. So Terry might like that in particular. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm not sure even um, I can. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> can do that.
1: There's a documentary actually on BBC Four on Wednesday, all about the history of the National Enquirer. Which I don't know if you've if you've read mm. anything about um, the way the National Enquirer owner and editors got involved with Donald Trump, mm. etc. That's going to be really interesting. That's on uh, BBC Four Wednesday nine o'clock. Scandalous! Ooh, the tabloid that, that changed sounds America. Exciting. It
0: feels a lot
1: like something that both of you will be banging on about next week. <laughs> um, and there's a Channel Four show called "The School That Tried to End Racism," which is an experiment with school kids looking at their racist attitudes, and that's going to be really interesting on Channel Four on Thursday. Mm. There you go.
0: Good stuff. Do we have a pick of the week?
2: Yes, Insecure.
1: I was going to say Talking Heads, but only because
0: I'm used to Insecure. So, but yeah. Oh, in which case, I'll go with well. Perry Mason. So we have the
1: full <laughs> spread.
2: We didn't even fucking like Perry Mason.
0: <laughs> I know, but I like. I like to be contrary, Terry.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's That's true. Yeah. Yes.
0: Right. Time now before we go for a quick banshee, where we recommend an old show that you may or may not have heard of. Terry, would you like to kick us off?
2: Uh, sure. Um, if you I've, I mean if
0: you're if you're not too you know bucks fizzed up to
2: do it. I've I've done all my Prosecco. I do feel a bit drunk. I don't know.
0: And for Terry's Banshee, she's picking Deep Space
2: Nine. <laughs> yes. I'm choosing Banshee. Not really. Um, so I would like to choose Strike. We haven't done Strike, right?
0: Oh well, actually, Strike technically is disqualified for being a Banshee on the grounds that it is not finished and it is an ongoing series.
2: <laughs> what? it is finished is it not no is it not
0: there's a new season out this year or it was supposed to be this year but I think it might have been pushed till next oh, year now. Okay, it, then assuming that we are talking of the JK Rowling private detective novels C- that show yes. yeah yeah no it's still oh. ongoing can you imagine yeah, if it ended like where it ended Right, no, her mo- her most recent novel, Lethal White, is the next one that they, they've they they've adapted, but I don't know when it's airing. But do you know when it's airing? You're
2: only invested in this because of Holiday Granger, aren't you? Let's be <laughs> I am, frank. I am partially yeah, totally. invested yeah. in yeah. It because
0: of Holiday Your Granger. Your slight
2: yeah. psychotic <laughs> liking <laughs> so, of Holiday yeah, Granger. Session.
0: yeah. Stalking. <laughs> There's no stalking involved. I just think she's very, very good.
2: But Tom, I have to say, Tom Burke, who I probably, when this started in uh, 2017, didn't give enough kind of recognition of i think he is a phenomenal actor he starred in the souvenir um which was one of the best independent films of 2019 i think it was i think it was 2019 um just he's remarkable i think he's gonna play awesome wells quite soon um i can see that yeah can't you just i mean christ but um yeah, so even though I'm not allowed to banshee. Go it, on, banshee
0: it anyway. I love this show, I absolutely I'm love it, so banche. I think you should do it anyway.
2: I'm gonna banshee. <laughs> um strike I that's all I've got to say about you, which is he's really amazing, <laughs> she's really pretty.
0: <laughs> she's also very good in
2: it. I've drunk loads of mimosa. <laughs> oh
0: my god. Yes, no, I love strike. I think strike is absolutely brilliant. I'm I am gutted that I've had to wait so long for this uh for this most recent one. But um yeah, looking forward to that when it finally drops. Boyd, what is your banshee?
1: it involves david Badil. and um i just had a conversation with someone earlier this week i was talking i, I love david Badil. i think he's he's brilliant um i've always loved him he's great uh, he's great on twitter and uh, a lot i was having a conversation with him about to someone about him and i pointed out that he had his own sitcom <laughs> and people were like no he didn't i was like yes he did so Bedell's Syndrome was his own sitcom on Sky One in 2000 and 2001. It only lasted for one series. He created it was absolutely him trying to do his own Seinfeld, and he's, it's all about it's basically his persona. He plays the architect, which is which is ridiculous because he's basically playing David Baddiel. Um Moena Banks, his partner, was in it brilliantly. Peter Bradshaw, who he co-created with, and they were together at school. They were school friends. Peter Bradshaw, the film critic of the Guardian. He's in it as a kind of posh, twatty, like, Lord figure. And he is quite funny. And Peter Bradshaw acting in it was wow. pretty good. I mean, it was, it's amazing to see, but particularly in the light of that he then later became The Guardian's film critic. Um, it was, it was pretty good. And now it's not available. As far as I'm aware, it's not available anywhere. But you can see it on YouTube. So I cranked it up on YouTube to check it out. And it was quite funny. Um, it is literally, it's so obviously him trying to do Seinfeld. That's a bit painful. And every now and then there's gags that don't work. But they're trying to do a proper gag a minute, American-style sitcom built around David Badil's comedy persona. So Baddiel's Syndrome,
0: yeah, that's my Banshee this week. I have never seen that. Cool not. Um, my Banshee is uh, it's, it's like a request actually this week someone asked me to Banshee this uh, and I did used to watch it though I will say not religiously and it is early edition do you remember early edition in the mid 90s around for four yeah. years I think from 96 to no actually was it 96 yeah I think it was 96 it started and um, it, uh, it starred Carl Chandler who I love and who is amazing in Friday Night Lights uh, as this guy a sort of I think he was a stockbroker and he would get tomorrow's edition of the chicago sun times on his doormat the day before Mm. delivered by a ginger tabby cat it seemed (laughs) um and so he would then in a kind of like a weird reverse quantum leap he would then have 24 hours to fix whatever was wrong like whatever tragedy had transpired in and was reported in the newspaper he would have 24 hours to fix that and save whoever was there and uh, so carl chandler played the the main guy and then fisher stevens Oscar-winning filmmaker, Fisher Stevens. Fisher Stevens from, not in any way problematically, Short Circuit, and Short Circuit 2, uh, is his friend Chuck in this, who's always trying to convince him to use the paper to make money. And he's like, no, no I'm going to use it for good. Um, so it's a classic, you know, putting right what could have gone wrong procedural. But... They, they try and sort of spin out the mythology of this it goes on like he tries to like there's a sort of a. he tries to, to, to track down who's giving him the paper and it turns out there's a is it an organisation do they have supernatural powers how are they getting the paper and there's a weird thing with a pen knife where you're able to almost like pass on uh, the mantle of who's going to receive this paper over time and when this show you know wraps up he's kind of passed it on to this girl uh, so presumably she is still getting the papers now but yeah it's, it was a, it's an interesting format it's not as good as Quantum Leap though it shares a lot of DNA with it but Karjana's really really charismatic and he's a lot of fun so um yeah i remember this being quite good but not good enough that i watched every episode of it which i did with quantum leaf so should you feel the need early edition there you go from 1996 and that is it for this special terry's birthday edition of the pilot tv podcast brought to you sponsored by various types of mimosa uh if you want to get terry a present then what she really wants most of all is a five-star review on apple podcasts so feel free to wrap one up and deliver it to her there you can follow the birthday girl and we her stalwart sidekicks on twitter and instagram at terry underscore white at james c dyer and at boyd hilton we will be back next week with more sex montages and, among other things, the new Penny Dreadful, season two of Amazon's pint size assassin thriller, Hannah, if we get to see it, and if I have anything to say about it, Warrior Nun. Until yes. then, though, it's a fond farewell <laughs> from myself, Boyd, and the birthday girl. Pilot out. Oh, hang on, there's someone at the door. (laughs) His guitar picks are right.
2: I was gonna say, is that a groupie? (laughs) (laughs) Are you James Dyer, the (laughs) Axe (laughs) Man?